0: Good morning again, everybody, and welcome back for another week in our most recent sermon series entitled Mixtapes. Mixtapes. If you're here for the very first time here in person or watching this online, welcome to The Peak for the last several weeks, and just for a couple more, uh, we're engaging a sermon series whereby we are asking the question of where have each of us encountered the presence of God or God speaking to us in and through Music. And all kinds of music. We've talked about oldies, we've talked about hip hop, we've talked about pop. And today, my friends, we have come to the one that I've been looking forward to the most. Today, we are asking the question where and how have we encountered God through punk rock? Punk rock music, all right? And so to kick things off, um, we're actually gonna play a little bit of trivia, okay? You guys wanna play a little trivia? We'll play a little Kyle trivia, a little punk rock trivia, okay? Here's your question. Which punk rock album did Kyle's grandmother confiscate from me when I was 12 years old? I'm over it. I'm not so bitter about it. Was it Rocket to Russia by the Ramones? Was it B, Americana, the offspring? Was it C, Enema of the State? Never thought I'd say that word in church. Bible 182. Or was it D, Walk Among Us by the Misfits? Take a minute, turn to the person next to you, maybe invoke uh, the Holy Spirit, see if uh, you can get an answer here to the question, okay? There will be a prize, so you do want to answer correctly. You ready for it? The answer... C, enema of the state, Blink-182, and if uh, you got that answer correctly, raise your hand, because in true punk rock fashion, we're going to give you some sleeve tattoos uh, for you to take home today. Okay, so the DeBusque family, you're going to get one. There you go. Uh, And this is truly meant to be the gift that keeps on giving, Uh, so here's your challenge. If uh, you receive one of these, the challenge is I want you to wear this to your in-law's house uh, after church today. And when they ask what happened to you, I want you to simply say, "I don't know. I went to church. OK? <laughs> it's all upset. Maybe I had more than five. Gosh, this is like the, it's like the miracle of the loaves. They just keep on coming, keep on coming. Here we go. We're going to double up. Here you go. Ready? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Here we go. We pass this one down. Here we go. All right, I got two more. You can do a double sleeve. Here we go. Brooke. There's three. so you can like put one on your leg, maybe. All right, sweet. Hallelujah. All right, so today, again, the question is, where and how can we discover the gospel in and through punk rock music? Now, understandably, understandably, some of you are a little bit apprehensive, okay? You're doubting me a little bit here at the onset of this sermon because understandably, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world would God want to do or have to say in and through music that is loud, that is very screamy, that has spiky hair and a lot of inappropriate words in it? And you're going to find out. You're going to find out. Because, uh, especially as you heard our scripture passage for today, one of the things that you're going to find really, really quickly is there is a really, really important commonality between what we believe in our faith and some of the themes you will find in punk rock music. So without further ado, let's jump in. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you're watching this online, you wanna grab your Bible or grab a smart device, go ahead and return back to Psalm 137, the passage you just heard Paula read a couple of moments ago. If you're new to reading the Bible, new to understanding the Bible, The Psalms, uh, whenever you hear someone say they're reading from the Psalms, I want you to think of diary entries. I want you to think of poems. I want you to think of sometimes these are songs uh, written by persons of faith who are trying to express some sort of emotion, some sort of experience they're going through emotionally, spiritually, relationally, what have you. And what you'll find is that actually within the Psalms, scholars say there's a particular genre of Psalms called what's, uh, what's called imprecatory Psalms imprecatory psalms. Now, imprecatory psalms, uh, how should I say this? Uh, They're not happy psalms. Uh, They are sad psalms. They are angry psalms. These are psalms written out of a place where someone just betrayed them, or uh, they just got hurt, or something was just destroyed that was really important and powerful uh, and valuable in their life, and so they're writing out of that place. By the way, there's a whole laundry list of imprecatory psalms, so here's a short list of them. Uh, If you want to sort of take a screenshot of that or write these down, whenever you're hacked off at the world and you're like, man, all the Bible is just like, it's always just positive and optimistic, uh, these are are, are not that, and they will join you uh, in that place uh, if you need to be in a dark, uh, mad, angry place uh, for a minute. But I digress. So when we come back to Psalm 137, you see Psalm 137 is listed here. Uh, because one of the things that we know about Psalm 137 uh, is the author that is writing this uh, is writing from a place of deep, deep pain, deep, deep grief. And we actually don't have to do much studying to find out why. Go back to the passage. So in uh, verses 1 through 3, you see this. The writer writes this. He says, alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down crying because we remembered Zion. If, uh, you're again, you're new to studying the Bible, new trying to figure out sort of what it means and what it says— Essentially what's happening here is this psalm is written shortly after the people the Babylonian empire came down, destroyed Jerusalem and hauled all everybody out as prisoners. So they lived as exiles in a foreign land for a really really long time. they have just been taken captive, they're living as prisoners and he writes this psalm. So we're here, just sitting by Babylon streams. We've hung our lyres upon the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. And so this psalm is a song of deep grief, deep pain. Everything they've ever known, everything that they ever cherished and held dear was ripped from their hands. Now they're being tormented and teased by these new oppressors. And so, on the one hand, uh, we see here in Psalm 137 that this is not only a song of deep, deep pain and sadness, but then when you make the turn to the last couple of verses, you also see that they are not only sad, but they are mad as hell. Aren't they? They're mad as hell. Verse 7. Lord, remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Rip it down, rip it down, all the way to the foundations, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back. The very deed you did to us. You see it now, don't you? You see the very stark and important commonality between imprecatory psalms, and punk rock music. It is the presence of anger. It is this whole conversation on what we do with anger. All types of anger. Maybe anger at another person for hurting us. Maybe it's uh, angry at an institution, angry at a group of people, or maybe it's angry at life and how it played out for you or didn't. What I love about both uh, punk rock music and imprecatory psalms is they give us permission to talk about it. They give us permission to vocalize it. They teach us that the only healthy and faithful way to deal with your anger is to express it in some way. Now, that's a rare thing for church. We don't give a lot of space for people to be angry in spaces like this. Someone walks to the front door and they're angry. We go, oh, sweetheart, okay. oh, you're okay. Oh, you're Okay, sweetheart, we'll, we'll pray. We'll pray. Mary Lou, come on, come on. Sister Elizabeth, come on. we just going to pray and we're going to feel better and it's going to be so much fun. And I got you a casserole in the, uh, in, the, in the freezer. I'll give that one to you before you leave. We don't make space for anger in this place. And to be very, very clear, because anger can be dangerous, right, it can be quite destructive. I always like to say it this way. I always to say, anger is actually, in and of itself, very, very neutral. It's like the check engine light that pops up on your car to tell you something's gone wrong. But the longer you leave the light on, the worse the situation gets. And so, aggression's not healthy. Bottling it up's not healthy. So what are we supposed to do? You're in church, and so the question that we're here to ask is what does Jesus want us to do? To do What is the godly or even the faithful way to manage and navigate our anger? The first lesson is this. The first lesson we get from both this psalm and punk rock music is under our anger is a wound God wants to heal. The first step in trying to figure out how to navigate our anger, and our aggression, and our bitterness and resentment in life is to realize that underneath the anger is a wound God wants to heal. You go back to Psalm 137, the wound is very clear. Why they're so hacked off is because, again, everything they ever cherished and held dear in life was ripped from their hearts and lives. They're angry because they're really, really, really depressed and sad. And friends, some of you uh, came today uh, and you're not a big fan of punk rock music. You actually, when you heard at the beginning it was punk rock week, you're like, oh, I was trying to skip that one. Um, and that's fine. But I think oftentimes, at least in this case of my grandmother, one of the reasons why some people get uncomfortable with this kind of music is because of the presence of Anger and they never peel back and realize that actually the anger is just masking a deep, deep wound. And friends, this is true of every single punk rock band out there. Let me prove it to you. Check it out. Here are just a handful of examples, a handful of examples of lyrics from some of my favorite bands, some of my favorite punk rock bands. And embedded within each and every one of those lyrics, what you find are things like pain, experiences like betrayal, loneliness, grief. I like to say it this way. Oftentimes, what presents as anger is really just deep, deep sadness in disguise. Oftentimes, what presents itself as anger is just deep, deep sadness in disguise. And what's fascinating is that sometimes we hear, again, we here in the church, we struggle a little bit because when people come to us or they have a sort of outward sort of posture of deep, deep anger and aggression, we oftentimes only treat the symptom and not the disease, we love doing that. Church folks love doing that. Oh, you're angry? Okay, we'll just we'll just we'll we'll take right care of that. Oh, you're you're dressed kind of funny, sweetheart. Let's let's take care of that. Or um, you're you're living in some you know toxic destructive behavior. So let's just take care of the behavior. And We don't stop to actually peel back the layer to realize what's actually fueling that thing. By the way, did you notice this is also uh, why. Uh, We didn't read the entire psalm. Anyone catch that? Anyone catch that? We didn't read the entire psalm today because we left off one verse. One verse. And the reason why we left it off is because upon reading it, I know how tempting it would be to judge that person, to write them off, to shame or silence them for saying, admitting, thinking what they thought. You ready for it? You want to see it? You see, friends, when people talk to us in this way, or they sing about these kinds of things, Admit these kinds of feelings. We're so, so quick to shame, silence, and distance ourselves from them. Instead of getting curious about what actually might be going on underneath the surface that needs some healing. And friends, in no way in no way are you going to hear me today defend or justify what was written in Psalm 137 at the particular, at the end of that chapter. But I am going to help you understand, because this was really helpful for me. First time I ever read this passage, I was like, Whew, sweet Lord, never preaching on that one. And (laughs) what I did was I got curious. I got curious. Like, why? Like, at some point, somebody said, we got to make sure that ends up in the Bible. (laughs) I'm sure there was like a A conference call. It was like, um, (laughs) probably not, right? Like, that's not the one. Like, there's someone else. Um, But they decided to keep it in there. And one scholar said, in no way am I trying to justify this person's behavior or this person's desire but it's helpful to remember that maybe, just maybe, the reason why the author of Psalm 137 was saying that, wishing that, desiring that, hungry and thirsty for that, is because that's exactly what happened to him and his family just a short time ago. I'm not justifying it all. I'm just saying it reads a little different if you read it as a grieving parent who lost one of their children in this way. Now it reads, not as someone who is inherently violent, but someone who is so unbelievably heart sick with grief. And they just want someone to feel what it's like, to know what it's like, not thinking through all the implications. I wonder who that is uh, for you. I wonder who that is for you. Maybe as you're sitting here listening to this, uh, you're thinking of someone else in your life. It's another person in your life. It's a friend, it's a coworker, it's a boss, it's a family member, and they're just, they're so angry all the time. And maybe instead of being judgmental, maybe it's time to get curious. Maybe it's you. Maybe for the longest time, you've just been harboring this fire, this anger, or maybe you don't even have enough enough awareness of it. You just know that there's a particular person in your life or a particular situation that always is so very triggering to you. And maybe it's time to get curious. Why Is that happening every time I'm in that place or with that person placed in this kind of situation? Why? Is it possible that that's God trying to get your attention about something he wants to heal? Now you would be like, Kyle, okay, I'm listening. But like, how the heck do I do that? Well, this is when you pray, baby. This is when you pray. But just remember, prayer is not only the times where you talk to God and you, after you leave here today, and say, God, Kyle said to do this. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'm really mad about this and I'm really sad about it. And I think it's because of this particular thing in my past. It was this parent or it was this coworker or this person that I've been carrying around for a really long time. Just remember, prayer is not only opening the door for the Holy Spirit to enter in and heal that, but then receiving the challenges and the assignments that the Holy Spirit's going to place on your plate to help you receive the full medication needed to receive that healing. So it may be being brave enough to have a difficult conversation. It may be being brave enough to talk to somebody, to go see a therapist, to set some firm boundaries. Or maybe for you, what will be required to truly receive the healing in your heart, your broken and bleeding heart that you need so badly is what we find in lesson number two. You see, friends, the other lesson uh, that punk rock and imprecatory psalms in scripture give to us about our anger is they teach us that as much as we might hate it, God is the only one who gets to take revenge. Maybe that's the part of the healing that you've just never quite reached. Maybe not because you're like a Violent person, maybe like you're like no 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 like I would never like take physical revenge upon someone. I just like to quietly celebrate when their life goes wrong. That's revenge. It's revenge to quietly hope for and uh, quietly celebrate when someone who did you wrong they share something on social media, they lost their job, and you're like. <laughs> Thank you. And this is where here in the church it just gets so complicated. This conversation on revenge has been really, really complicated. And I'll defend you all for a little bit because the Bible is also a little complicated on this. Right? The Old Testament, like if you read it in one particular way, seems to condone revenge by saying things like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You read passages like that, you're like, yes, finally, Jesus, yeah, we're good, we're good. Okay, I'm going to go hit him. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to hit him. And then something happens in the New Testament. You catch that? The messaging shifts. The person of Jesus shows up and says, Yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all aren't allowed to do that. You are to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Someone harms you, you are to offer them the other cheek. It invaded and infused so much of the early church teaching that then Paul started teaching it and writing in his letters to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, don't try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, because it's written, revenge belongs to me, I will pay it back, says the Lord. And so friends, this is actually where, as a brief aside, this is why studying the Bible in context is so, so important, so, so important. You see, friends, God didn't change his mind from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's not like in the Old Testament God was like, all right, y'all can take revenge, that's fine. And then, like, in between the Testaments, like, the PR team came together and was like, "Um, they're making a huge mess of it. Like, you got to take that
1: back. And then they're like, okay,
0: all right, we're going to change our mind. Y'all can't do that no more because we gave you a privilege and you abused it, okay? You abused it, so we ain't doing it no more. No, what happened was God didn't change from the Old Testament to the New. What happened was our understanding of God changed after Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up, the full expression, the full embodiment of who God is and what God wants from us. And we realized, oh, we've had it wrong the whole time. I can tell uh, just by saying this, I'm making some of y'all even more angry. (laughs) And I know why. Whenever you get to this part of the conversation of Christianity, I'm almost always met with some rebuttal that sounds something like this. Oh, oh, okay. So let me get this straight. Uh, Jesus just wants me to be weak. Like, Jesus wants me to be passive. So, like, I'm never allowed to defend myself when someone comes at me and tries to harm me emotionally or spiritually or even physically. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sign up for that tomorrow. Great. Yeah. And I'm glad uh, you said that to me. Um, just now, uh, in, your, in the quietness of your minds, through my words. Because that's actually not what I'm saying. I actually don't think that's the case. I don't think that's an expectation God has of us. Why? Because I think it's actually perfectly natural, and even biologically hardwired into our systems, to defend ourselves when someone comes at you. But there's a big difference between defense and revenge. There's a real big difference between defense and revenge. You wanna know what it is? Defense is attempting to stop harm. Revenge is attempting to duplicate harm. Defense is trying to stop the whole thing from happening and continuing. Revenge is keeping it alive. And friends, this is exactly what makes Jesus so unbelievably frustrating on one hand and brilliant on the other. It's that Jesus knew, he fundamentally understood that the reason why he had to prohibit revenge, whenever you get angry, whenever you get sort of aggressive, he knew that the reason why he had to prohibit and not allow us to take revenge is because Jesus knew that there's nothing good that ever comes out of us taking revenge. That every single time we take justice into our own hands, we take revenge into our own hands this is just four possibilities I can think of this week. Four possi- one of four possibilities could happen. Number one, possibility number one. Possibility number one is you enact harm upon someone else that is greater in scale than the original offense they dealt to you. You can't calculate it perfectly as much as you think you can. You might be like sitting in your living room like, okay. So, like, I thought about this for six months, and so if I do this, then they'll think about it for six months. Okay, great. Boo! Only to find out that it wounded them and wrecked their life for an entire year. Or maybe what happens is possibility number two. When you enact revenge, when you take justice into your own hands, and you even you wish harm upon someone else, what can happen is you not only affect the original offender, but you harm, you sort of create some collateral damage and you harm the person who cares about that person. The friend, the family member, the child. Now they, because they were in the vicinity of the person who originally harmed you, when you harmed them back, you harmed them in the process. And guess what? Now you've created their own revenge cycle that they're either going to try to take back towards you or towards someone else, someone like you, someone not even connected to you. You've not only duplicated harm, you've multiplied it. That's two possibilities. Possibility number three, the other reason why Jesus prohibits uh, revenge is because if you haven't found this to be true, you will. Um, It's like a poison, dude. There are more revenge you take and bitterness and resentment you act upon. The worse it gets it's like an addict it's like a quick like quick fix it's like oh that felt so good and the second time you need it more and more and more it feeds the ugliest most selfish parts of us and fourthly and finally friends the reason why jesus prohibits revenge is because i can't say it any clearer than this it's heresy It's heresy. When you take revenge on someone else, you are believing the lie that everyone gets what they deserve. And you can believe that. You are totally allowed to believe that. But you can't believe that and the gospel at the same time. Deal? You can believe that. You just can't do so while also believing in the message that Jesus preached. And so it's for our own protection. It's for your own protection that Jesus says, leave the vengeance to me, please, please. And before I close, I'll say this, I'll say this. The reason why I don't like doing it, okay, I'll go first, okay, I'll go first. The reason why I don't like, uh, why it's tempting for me sometimes to take vengeance myself, or again, maybe not even take vengeance, just like quietly celebrate and even hope for and wish uh, harm upon someone else who's done harm to me, the reason why I don't like doing it, the reason why I don't like allowing God to be the one in charge of vengeance is because I don't trust that God will do anything about it. I don't trust that God will do to them what they did to me. And by the way, did you catch that uh, the author of Psalm 137 didn't believe it either? Nowhere in Psalm 137 does the author ever talk to God directly. It's the only imprecatory psalm in the entire Bible where God is not mentioned one time. So all that talk about revenge, all that talk about getting even, he wasn't asking God to do it. He was planning to do it. And it's because deep down that the author was not only mad at Babylon, he was ticked at God. How could you let this happen? How could you let this happen to us? Forget you. I'll take this. I'll do it myself. Now, maybe that's not you maybe that's not you. Maybe you are better than me, holier than me, and uh, holier than the writer of Psalm 137. And if so, I'm very, very delighted to hear that. Um, But if you're not, if you have trouble trusting God with the vengeance part of your anger, I'm going to invite you uh, to try to practice the type of trust that I'm trying, keyword, operative word, trying to live into. You ready? You want to hear more about it? You interested? Can I uh, come over and sit with you and interest you in the basic plan of uh, trying to trust God with your vengeance? I'm going to warn you that this type of trust is not a trust, that God will enact a type of vengeance that does the same pain to them, or even a worse type pain to them as they did to you. That's not the trust. It's trusting, actually, in a fundamentally different kind of vengeance. A better vengeance. A holier vengeance. Because, you see, friends, the God we worship in Scripture is a God of vengeance, but, good Lord, it's a compassionate vengeance. It's a merciful vengeance. It's a vengeance that, yes, takes very seriously the task of confronting his children on the wrongs that they've done, But does so in a way that tries to win them over, tries to heal the wound that caused the offense in the first place, that tries to disarm them of all of their weapons so that slowly but surely, one child at a time, he can reconcile all things to himself. It's a vengeance, it's a trust. It's a Jesus that instead of chasing the rest of your life after fairness, you start chasing for redemption. It's realizing that the Jesus you're following may never ever make things equal, but will bring peace. And you're just gonna have to trust me on this, That's good news for you, too. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.